Because the player is gonna play, 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 and the hater is gonna hate, 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 hate. Hey, baby, I'm just gonna shake, 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 shake. I shake it off. I shake it off. Oh, oh. Well, <laughs> hello, hi, welcome. The name of the show is Politics. Although I call it Politics, and the title of this episode is uh, Wonka, aka Jonka. My name is Presh, and uh, it was the awards day for the program where I volunteered to tutor, and they they played the song, you know, at some point during the ceremony, and uh, the song about how the the media says nasty things about Taylor Swift and how she deals with it. But the genius thing here is that it's incredibly relatable, right? Everyone has negative things that try to hold them back, but you just have to, you know. <laughs> I'm checking my notes here. Shake it off, right? And also, why are we calling it Jonka? Well, if you've heard me refer to it in previous episodes, I've just been calling it Jonka because I'm not trying to steal a joke here, but on the Weekly Planet uh, podcast that I love, they, they made a joke that Chalamet looks like uh, the Joker and they started calling him Jonka. And again, I'm not trying to steal the joke, but that, that Jonka name has pierced the membrane of my mind. And now... Whenever I see him, that's all. I, I just want to call him Jonka. My co-host uh, suggested that we do Jonka, and I said, Who? Are you talking about Jonka? And uh, so, yeah. In <laughs> Speaking of my co-host, is not here, actually, because uh, uh, he didn't give me a good reason. Uh, he said his throat was sore. So, I don't know. He should have said from sucking too much dick. Whoa! Well... I don't know, is that homophobic? But the thing is, he's not gay, so... <laughs> how can it be homophobic uh, if I say that? Anyway, uh... Yeah, I'm getting to some cleanup from last week. I have to apologize for the piss-poor Marvel segment we did. Uh, I kind of sprang it on my co-host unexpectedly, so I don't blame him, but... I blame myself, because I kind of ran out of time to write my pitch, and... Yeah, it's definitely my fault. Right. Um, also, we were discussing the U.S. presidency's succession line, and we were wondering what the requirements are for being this House Speaker. Right? There's only two requirements: one, a member of the House must nominate the person, and two, the majority of members need to vote for this person. So the vote has, or the House has, 435 members, so that's 218 votes to win. Anyway, that being said, there's never been a Speaker who was not a House member because. I assume this would undermine the institution. They want to keep it within the within the house. You know, they don't want to go into the garden with a rough raff like us. Uh, anyway, <laughs> also last week, uh, my co-host said that Ap- Apple and Macintosh were separate companies and Apple took over Macintosh, which is just not true. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say, right? Apple made the Macintosh uh, named after Jeff Rath- engineer Jeff Raskin's favorite type of Apple. That's, uh, yeah, that's just history. I don't know. I don't know how to disagree. Anyway, so I'm going to get into the news for the week. Um, I was watching a YouTube channel that I've mentioned on here before. It's called Dan Merle, right? He does a weekly chart show where he examines the box office and gives his analysis on it. 
Um, so this week he put forward that Disney has lost a billion dollars at the box office this year with Indiana Jones, Haunted Mansion, The Marvels, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, The Crater, The Boogeyman, Wish, Elemental, A Haunting in Venice and The Little Mermaid all being huge losses. Only Guardians of the Galaxy of the major properties uh, turned a profit. So I have no like <laughs> commentary on this other than say like, wow, that's fucking wild, dude. <laughs> the like the comparisons he was doing was like, all right, if you add up Avatar two and uh, the Avengers Endgame and something else, and like this takes such a huge amount away from that that uh, portion of money. So yeah wild uh if this is something you're interested in i highly recommend watching the video uh, it'll be linked in the comments uh, the next news story vivek ramaswamy who we've spoken about before made two horrific comments last week in a republican debate right the first being quote why am i the only person on the stage at least who can say that january 6 now looks now does look like it was an inside job all right uh I'd usually ask my host, hey, do you know what January 6th is? And they'll say, uh, I think it's, and then mention something that's definitely not January 6th. <laughs> and then I'll say, uh, anyway, on January 6th, Trump in, uh, incited a riot that stormed the Capitol building. We have videos of him doing this, right? Uh, I don't even understand what an inside job even means in this situation. Like... Did somebody trick Trump into doing it? Did they say like, no, it'll be good if you do this. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what he's saying. But uh, yeah, the second thing he said was, quote, great replacement theory is not some grand right wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform. <laughs> End quote, right? <laughs> Again, to recap, the great rep replacement conspiracy theory is that non-white people from mainly like North Africa and the Middle East immigrating to Europe and America is a Jewish plot to make Christian white people a minority in, you know, those countries, the European countries and America. Well, I guess uh, Canada as well. That just gets rolled in. Um, in one case, it was the right thing to do, right? Like I've said before, he's not running for president. He's running to be vice president or whatever cabinet position he can leverage. In the first case, I think it might work. Trump immediately likes anyone who says that he's innocent. Um, in the second case, I don't think it's gonna work, right? You can be as racist as you want, but <laughs> the people you're trying to appeal to still see you as a non-white and will never vote for you, right? Also, you know the first time I mentioned this guy, I read his book, right? His parents are from India. He is the great replacement these fucking racists are talking about. He's an Indian coming from India to America and is, I presume, replacing a position that a white man may have held. So, yeah, they hate you, dog. <laughs> I don't know, uh, you know, you're trying to appeal to people who hate you. But, uh, you know, a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Anyway, the next story. Roger Jardine, uh, an anti-apartheid activist turned banker, has launched a new political entity called Change Starts Now. 
I say entity because it's unclear what this man or what this is. Is it a party? Right. This comes after Jardine stepped down from his position as chairman of First Ran, which is the holding company that owns FNB, South Africa's second largest bank. Jardine was also previously the chairman of the think tank, the Center for Development and Enterprise. A think tank is an institution that researches and then advocates for certain issues. Based So based on this light reading I've done, the think tank he chaired is guided by a neoliberal ideology. So similarly to like a Hillary Clinton or Pete Buttigieg. And I bring up Buttigieg because he also worked in a think tank. Uh, I can't remember now. I think it's a Center for American Progress. But a lot of these think tanks are just like used to justify whatever you know like lowering tax uh, program that they had put forward in the first place right these think tanks only put forward legislation that help bourgeois causes it's uh, it's very very rare that you find a left wing think tank uh yeah, anyway, so this announcement was extremely light on details. It read a lot like an Obama announcement. Instead of giving details, everything that was said was some mealy mouth bullshit like, uh, quote, well, this is not a real quote. <laughs> so I don't know why I'm saying quote. I'm just uh, giving an example, right? I want to empower people by giving them access to solutions to optimize against and combat the severity of issues in their communities, which... You know, it's just a bunch of words. And again, he didn't actually say that. I'm just saying that's how it read to me. That's my analysis, right? Uh, it could also be like a meaningless platitude, like, hey, man, I'm not left-wing. I'm not right-wing. I'm for moving forward, which... <laughs> Always love that. That's a... That's a very funny, <laughs> that's a very funny line. Um, uh, where am I now? So it's not clear what he identifies as and what the ideology of this entity is, but based on the fact that he was chairman of a private bank and chairman of a neoliberal think tank, I'm going to hazard a guess and say that I think that he thinks that he is not a right winger. Right. He probably identifies as a centrist. But if you sat down with him and quizzed him on his beliefs, I believe like 90% plus of his answers would be like some right wing drivel. Right. Again, I have no evidence, but I'm allowed to wager. Gambling is legal in South Africa. <sighs> but anyway, why do I bring this up? Well, First of all, it was on the homepage of News Twenty Four, which is where I, <laughs> where I, you know, get my news for the week uh, when I'm preparing this document. So there's that. Uh, but also, I think this is the perfect opportunity to instigate beef and get another enemy, right? Why are Batman and Spider-Man two of the most popular comic book characters of all time? It's because they have an extensive rogues gallery, right? Like most characters, they just have like one character that they fight and then like uh, maybe one or two like you think of Doctor Strange right it's like Dormammu who's a big Doctor Strange well Nightmare do you get what I'm saying it's like two or three villains and then you know 
they team up with the Avengers and they have Avengers villains. But like Spider-Man and Batman, they just have their own huge rogues gallery. And occasionally it's so big that like <laughs> Green Arrow will sometimes take over some characters that Batman is fighting. Sometimes the Teen Titans will, you know, fight against one of the villains Batman is fighting, etc. That's that's what makes them great, right? So we need to build up an extensive rogues gallery and currently the only one we have is Ruben Brigetti, the US ambassador to South Africa. You know, if you don't recall, he lied about South Africa selling arms to Russia and then the repo rate went up, making my bond more expensive. And uh, since change starts now as a new organization, I thought we could get in on the ground floor and claim them as enemies before anything potentially big happens with them. You know, we can be like, yeah, we've always hated you, motherfucker. We were, <laughs> we were there. We were, <laughs> we were on ground zero of hating. That's my, that's my hope by doing the segment. Anyway. Next piece of news. Nicholas Holt, a.k.a. the About-A-Boy Boy, because he was the character of the boy in the movie About-A-Boy. So I call him the About-A-Boy Boy. And uh, he's not a boy anymore because he's been cast as Lex Luthor in the new, what is it, Superman Rebirth, right? Which is the fourth of the core five Superman characters after Corrin Sweat as Big Blue, Rachel Brosnahan as Lois Lane, Skyler, well, we didn't mention Skyler Gazondo, but he's, <laughs> in terms of look, perfect casting. He's uh, he's the oldest son of uh, uh, Danny McBride on The Righteous Gemstones. He's, uh, if you've never seen that show, watch it. Incredible show. <laughs> and this guy, uh, well, he's not really the, he's not really the standout character, but he is pretty great. Right. Uh, anyway, he's been cast as Jeremy Olsen. The only one left is Perry White, who's the, you know, their boss at the Daily Planet. Um, I like Nicholas Holt. We covered him on Renfield earlier this year, right? I don't know how I feel about him as Lex Luthor. We've never gotten a real, a great Lex Luthor in live action, right? Or live action movies. The Gene Hackman version was like a real estate scammer. Um, <laughs> Kevin Spacey is an even worse version of that and uh, I just burst into laughter every time Jesse Eisenberg spoke in the Snyderverse which <laughs> 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 who allows this man to do public events you know somebody high up at the company should be like alright <laughs> every time this guy gives a speech he goes he has like a mental breakdown and he starts talking about like demons and angels and like uh god killing uh or man killing god and you know <laughs> in terms of protecting my my shares in the company i'd be like listen somebody needs to rein this guy in he's <laughs> he's out of control he's unhinged but uh that being said i'm always open-minded i'll see how the movie plays out and i'll make my not decision my like I'll see how I feel about it then right <sighs> the next story Shohei Otani's 700 million dollar deal with the Dodgers it's the highest value sporting contract in the world although it's split over 10 years uh, and 
an additional thing we found out after the fact is Otani is deferring some of those wages until the end of the contract. So he's not going to be paid that amount every year. Or, you know, that $700 million split over 10 years. He'll be paid $2 million each year, and then the rest of that $700 million will be paid after 10 years. Uh, which <laughs> I don't think is good, you know. Because, uh, like, what if... 10 years is a very long time. What if the entire economy has collapsed, you know, something like that? Uh, it's just very... Well, who am I to say, you know, he must have a lot of money already as a as a player. I'm led to believe, based on the stuff I've read this week, that this guy is both the the best batter and thrower for the baseball team he played for before the well, whatever team bought him, the Dodgers, right? Um, yeah, and people always like to say, like, oh, look at these bloody overpaid athletes, blah, 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 blah. Listen, in terms of leftist ideology, the players are the workers in terms of a sporting organization. They do the work that brings value to the organization. People would not watch that sport if not for the players, or the players and the coaching staff, etc. Right? So, I don't mind players getting paid that, like, Players, I'm saying players like football players, baseball players, whatever, they are the only, not the only, one of the only groups that are actually getting paid somewhere close to what they're worth, right? I wish that, now obviously every industry isn't like making hundreds of millions, but I'm saying the amount that they're earning is closer to what they deserve than, say, a person working, I don't know, at like a paper company <laughs> uh, just before I started recording I saw a tweet about Dunder Mifflin the, <laughs> the place from the office so that's what I was thinking paper company but anyway Cristiano Ronaldo has a smaller contract of 536 million but it's only over two and a half years making the highest average value you know per year um, the last story that I have this week is a bit of a fuck up because I was hoping my co-host would be here because he's more into this. Baldur's Gate won Game of the Year at the Game Awards, right? And again, <laughs> that's really all I know. Um, I've never played this game. I don't even know Baldur's Gate 1 was a game. So yeah, I'm hoping next week he can come in and give like a, a bit of a, a Game of the Year awards corner, right? Uh, but... Yeah, congratulations to the Baldur's Gate 3 team. You know, uh, it must be nice to (laughs) win this award. So congratulations to them. All right. Now let's get into some context for the movie. Well, we are... This is a problem with me recording alone. I uh, I kind of just zoomed through it. We're 20 minutes in. We're already into the movie. So probably going to be less than an hour. Let's see how it plays out. Right, context for the movie. So I don't really need to provide context. (laughs) As this is a prequel, you know, it tells the origin of Willy Wonka, um, the antagonist from Royal Dolls, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and a possible Nazi collaborator. 
this is the third live action movie featuring the character after the 1971 and 2005 adaptations of the book um it's unclear whether this is a prequel to the book or one of the movies i based on what i saw i have no idea um i will say that the main character or the main actor tim is awful right i don't think i've ever seen him in a role that i liked unfortunately he's an attractive man so i think a lot of people are blinded by horniness but i see through it he's not good he's a very technically limited actor right uh, lastly the movie is directed and co-written by paul king who is best known as the director of Paddington's 1 and 2. These movies have a cult following and I think it's because Paddington exudes this warmth and positivity. Pedro Pascal said it best in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Paddington made me want to become a better man. So basically people view Paddington in the same way that I view Superman. It's uh you know he he inspires you that's the the word i was looking for anyway, into my thoughts for the movie so first of all i thought this was a poor characterization of wonka like i said it's unclear what this is a prequel to but i just assumed it was the 1971 movie because it's the most beloved and famous adaptation of the character now i don't want precisely the same performance as gene wilder because as the tagline says this is about how willy became wonka I expected a different performance but we can see the seeds of what he will become and this movie presents an entirely different character and that character's name is Paddington <laughs> because <laughs> that's I think the main character or the sorry not main character the director only has one move and that is make a Paddington movie but and he's been quite lucky that two of his first three movies have been about the character Paddington so it's worked out quite well <laughs> but <laughs> unfortunately i don't think it's worked out in this movie right um for me at least right wonka is entirely deranged in the 1971 movie you know he's like you don't know if he's actually killing these children or what the fuck is happening right up up until the end which i won't spoil maybe he's a killer right <laughs> In the commentary I was joking that he was a Nazi collaborator. Could you see Wonka in this movie being a Nazi collaborator? Arrest my case, right? Uh unless I miss something, he's the only character to appear from the 1971 movie. Slugworth is mentioned in it, but they never he never shows up in the movie, so that's all that needs to be said about adaptation. In terms of new characters, I felt like the banking cartel wasn't scary enough. They don't strike fear. They just seem like buffoons. I understand that this is a kids movie, but just like the characterization of Wonka, this movie is missing that dash of danger, you know. Far more scary are the laundromat people who trick people into forced labor. I love that idea, but that, you know, the plot about them and Wonka's basement friends, I don't really find that interesting at all sorry <laughs> sorry to be uh, a debbie downer but uh, yeah i thought the interesting stuff was him making the chocolates and fighting the the cartel all that stuff for the basement friends kind of sucked right then i did not like the acting in this movie right tim was poor and i thought 
The worst part was his singing. But the banking cartel and basement friends were also uninspiring. I liked the performances and characterization of precisely three people, right? Number one, Olivia Coleman as the laundromat owner was incredible, right? She may be our best working female actor. Can you tell me who's better? Now, <laughs> I'd usually throw over to my co-host and, uh, you know, I don't know what he'd say. But uh, I was thinking about this before I started recording and I'm like, hmm, maybe Emma Stone. I really like her. I really like Kirsten Stewart. I really like Viola Davis. I really like... Well, there's a few people I like, but those were the first three that came to mind, like, you know, things that blew me away in the past couple of years. Uh, yeah. The second thing I loved was Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa. He, <laughs> he was incredible as well. Uh, he said that he hated view, uh, filming using this performance capture, but um, despite hating it, I thought he navigated it wonderfully well. He's... Uh, uh, yeah, he's probably my standout from this movie. I don't know. Uh, then third, we have Rowan Atkinson in a delightful cameo as the corrupt priest. Um, I also liked Wonka's mother, but she was in it for so little, and I don't think I should include her because, you know, she was barely a character. Although, I did enjoy their relationship, and it's not really... <sighs> it's a relationship told only from his side. Right, we again we barely see her and she's barely a character. His relationship is more so with the the candy bar that she gave him. Right. Um I thought their whole relationship was uh, sweet and endearing. I thought it was lovely. <laughs> Sorry for you know, being a little bit sentimental. Sorry if it offends. Right? Um I also thought the CGI was outstanding. Um, the look and the texture of the giraffe was incredible. It was... <laughs> I know it's going to sound a bit uh, cliche, but it felt like I could reach out and touch it. That's how, how real it looked, right? The other stuff, like the Oompa Loompa uh, effects and Wonka's various chocolate fucking people up, uh, you know, towards the end where they, they poison his chocolate with the Yeti hair or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, they all look, also look great, but the giraffe is what I keep coming back to in my mind. Like, uh, I watched this two days ago, so I've been uh, thinking about it, <laughs> and I just keep thinking about the giraffe. Incredible. I'm gonna go watch it again just because of the giraffe. The next thing is the production design. I love the costumes and sets. It felt like a magical. Well, it's not. It's unclear what time period this is. Is this even in our world? It just. It feels like a magical world, a lot like. Uh, I don't know. You know, like in a Disney movie, it's just like a, a kingdom from somewhere in the world. It uh, doesn't really matter. This is what it looked like. It could be like. Their their costumes doesn't really tell you much, about who they are. They could be from basically anywhere, right? Uh, but yeah, the banking cartel suits were fucking banging, right? Uh, <laughs> especially the main guy, the black guy, that blue suit. Every time he came into 
on the screen. I was like, oh, oh shit, that suit. Oh, oh my God. Ah, the suit. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the police uniform also had a very distinct look. Uh, it's like, uh, I don't know, it felt very French or French or British. I, uh, obviously, I have no idea, but uh, yeah. I think it looked a lot better than Barbie, this movie, but uh, that might be a, a hot take. I don't know. I don't like to use the, the phrase hot take because it's like, you can't say something's a hot take. You you just say something and then other people will determine the heat of the take. I, so yeah, I'm just going to say that I think this is better than Barbie. Other people can determine the temperature, you know. I have my own temperature cooker, which uh, I cook my meat at. I have my own temperature. You can have your own temperature. You know, people don't need to have the same temperature. That's what I'm saying. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. There's only one thing I want to criticize in this production design element, right? And that's Wonka's foot. I don't want to be rude, but uh, that outfit is atrocious, right? <laughs> On this week's commentary, yeah, like, I squealed in delight when Wonka came on screen because that's how powerful the the shoe trouser combination was on him. Right, this Jonka fucking stinks. Uh, yeah, and also with Gene Wilder, his his uh, his crushed velvet coat, so much better than uh, this guy. And you know, you could be like, ah, oh, French well, You know, it's a prequel. He doesn't have. He's not there yet. Uh, blah blah blah. I. I'm not saying it has to be the exact same. I'm saying this foot sucks shit, you know. Make something better. Not It doesn't have to be as good as Gene Wilder. It just doesn't have to be awful like this. <sighs> um, the next thing is I love the humor in this movie. Stuff like when he first arrives and he gets charged a daydreaming fee or <laughs> in the laundromat when the, they ask him if he used the minibar and he says, minibar? And they reply, yeah, the mini bar of soap. <laughs> That's another one that made me cackle. What I didn't like was Keegan-Michael Key's character becoming severely overweight. You know, uh, I understand the joke is, well, his chocolates are so... His chocolates are so incredibly delicious that he can't help himself but eat. But... Yeah, I didn't like... I didn't enjoy that. Sorry. Not for me. Right. Um, I mentioned Tim's lack of singing ability earlier. But uh, I did not enjoy the musical aspect of it in general. Right. It wasn't marketed as a musical. And I don't think it adds anything of value to the movie. However, I did love the score of the movie. It had a lot of zany trumpets, which was fun and added texture to the world. Um, the people so yes I mentioned this what two minutes ago because once again I I have the thing uh, open on the side here only 31 minutes in and I should stop fucking drawing attention to it but uh, I'm just worried I'm not gonna hit one hour that's the that's the promised land one hour anyway let's get back to our so I, like I mentioned about two minutes ago, there's his chocolates were poisoned by Yeti sweat, which fucked people up. It turned their, their heads yellow and blue and all that, right? 
they burnt his fucking shop down. That was wild. And I don't know why. In America, right? When there's a riot because it's usually like a black person is murdered by the police and there'll be like a riot and like places are burnt down. That's not like people don't want to burn down shops, right? And places like that. It's in the real world when something bad happens you get justice. Oh that's what the the hope is, right? That's not always the case, but if a police officer kills somebody, who are you gonna get justice from? You know, it uh who watches the watchman, etc. etc. Right? So if there's no one who's going to provide justice people take justice into their own hands and they you know start a riot they maybe burn down a building i don't agree with this but i'm saying do you see how people feel corralled in that they feel the need to do this that they're not going to get justice unless there's a threat of violence or etc right that's not the case in this movie. <laughs> Wonka or Jonka is entirely in the wrong, right? And you can say, oh, well, his, his shirt was poisoned. You know, they listen, that's you need to have uh, what's it called? Things in place for because you're dealing with food, right? You can't just be like. At a normal restaurant be like oh well somebody came in and poisoned stuff you have to have people watching the fucking food you know that's outrageous so yes all these people that got turned into fucked up things and colors could go to a judge and the judge would entirely be on their side and they would sue Wonka or Jonka and they would make millions but they <laughs> this was an unhinged response to burn his fucking shop down Christ on a cracker man that was outrageous. Anyway, the next thing is Matt Lucas, who plays the member of the banking cartel in yellow. He's clearly Hitler, right? Like Adolf Hitler, like the Fuhrer. He has the precise same mustache and hairstyle as Adolf Hitler. And if it's not Hitler himself, then there has to be some reference or, you know, so I googled Matt Lucas Hitler. No results. I googled Matt Lucas Wonka Hitler. No results. I googled Wonka Hitler. No results. I googled the name of Matt Lucas's character in the movie, which I cannot recall right now. No results. And yeah, once again, all I want is credit if in 10 years from now, somebody cracks it and they're like, oh, Actually, this guy was Adolf Hitler because of this. I want credit. Again, I was on the ground floor. I was on the ground floor. This is the exact same as my beef with uh, whatever the fuck that entity is. Uh, change starts now. Uh, we're on the ground floor here. This is... I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna title this episode uh, On the Ground Floor because uh, there's so many things we're getting in on the ground floor here. But yes, if... It turns out I'm right about this uh, Matt Lucas being Hitler. You know, once again, I want my credit. That's all. I want a golden statue built of me 
in the middle of in the middle of the world. I don't know where that is, but uh, I want it. I want a statue. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I started thinking about the banking cartel. Like, okay, if that guy is Hitler, who are the other two guys? And nothing immediately stood out to me. So if you know you have an idea or something, maybe send a tweet, etc. Uh, yeah. Then the golden ticket reference where he finds the golden ticket in his mother's chocolate. Uh, awful. Again, awful. Everything needs to be a reference. Everything needs to be a uh, extended universe, whatever. Just, you know, uh, the Oompa Loompa, the little, the little, the, fl- the little flute that he's playing is the flute that Wonka plays in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. So I assume he's going to get that flute from him later in life. And that's fine. That's like, that's understandable. Uh, <laughs> why would his mother leave a golden ticket for him? It's, 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 it's a reference for reference sake and it really rubbed me the wrong way towards the end of the movie. It's just, uh, I just felt gross, man. Gross. Yuck. Yucko. Right? Um, now, I said I didn't like uh, Jonka's little little basement friends, but I did love the credit closing sequence, you know, to get some closure on their lives. Uh, you know, the movie's not about them, but uh, it's nice when characters get their, I don't want to say due, but they, you know, you find out about them a little bit, and uh, I think that was cool. Uh, yeah. That's my thoughts on the movie Wonka. Very uh, weird, again, doing this uh, alone. Uh, I usually like to bounce off my co-host, but uh, yeah. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. And uh, let's move on to recommendations, where, first of all, I watched Changeling. It's a Clint Eastwood movie starring Angelina Jolie. Um... I remember seeing the trailer for this like when I was a kid. I think this came on like 2008, 2009. I was maybe like 10 or 11. And I saw this and I thought, wow, that looks scary. Guess what? It was. It's about the police and, uh, you know, who watches The Watchmen, etc. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> right. Um, it's somewhere between an 8 or 9, but I'm leaning towards a 9. But really stylish uh well acted well paced movie yeah so changeling then i have the ides of march it's a political thriller starring my my guy the goose ryan goosling george clooney who's also the director uh philip seymour hoffman and paul giamatti just four top top guys well i don't know i uh, Clooney is not, uh, I wouldn't put him up there as a great actor, but the other three, incredible, right? Um, you would think this whole thing be, would be right up my alley because a political thriller has a, a bunch of actors I like, but unfortunately the script is amateur and clearly trying to rip off 1993's The Firm. Uh, I gave it a 7 because it's beautifully shot, but... 
even now as I'm describing it, I'm thinking about bumping it down to a six. Um, but yeah, it could be fun if you enjoy. But yeah, I enjoy this genre and I don't enjoy it, so I don't know. I don't know. I just don't have the answers. Sorry for if you came here for answers. <laughs> anyway, then um, Bradley Cooper's The Maestro. Uh, this is a masterclass in the with the comparison in the comparison of good and bad acting. Bradley Cooper is horrifically overacting. And on the flip side, Carrie Mulligan is wonderful. She's incredible. She's currently my favorite for Best Actress of this year. Uh, that's <laughs> that's how stark the contrast is in this movie. It's like... I would give him a Razzie and her... Not just a nomination. She's my... Again, my favorite for the... Ah, should Yeah, add Carrie Mulligan to that list when I said of women... The Best Woman Actors right uh the film is fine i gave it a six it's uh kind of boring just <sighs> i kind of felt like i wasted my time watching that movie very boring anyway next i watched bad times at the el, el royale so anytime this movie has been recommended to me i've been told that this movie is severely underrated and that is 100 percent true this movie is great. I don't know the term for this, but it's told from multiple perspectives and unfolds like a play. The movie that came to mind was The Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino. I'm going to lightly spoil both movies, so please skip ahead like 30 seconds if this is an issue for you. So, in both cases, there's a third act twist that I don't think works. Due to the structure of these types of movies, the filmmaker baits you into thinking that all the pieces have been set on the board, but in the third act, they give you a perspective of a character you weren't thinking about that breaks the story wide open. In both movies, I feel like this is un unearned. I gave it an eight, and I gave it a point for Chris Hemsworth's abs alone. This guy's body is incredible. It's, <laughs> it's like, I know you see him in Thor, but I don't think of him like, I just think of him as Thor, you know? But like in this movie, when you see his body, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> it's so he's great, right? Anyway, finally, I watched Indecent Proposal, which uh, I was staying at my grandparents' house one day watching TV, and I saw an ad come up for this movie. The premise was that this guy offers a couple one million dollars to fuck the wife, and I distinctly remember Demi Moore, like semi-naked on a bed covered in money and she was throwing the money up and it rained on her uh, unfortunately it didn't <laughs> that scene did not happen in the movie because well I was like a kid when I saw that ad I was like maybe again it was maybe like 2011 but now this is the first time I've seen it and that scene is not in the movie I may have imagined that <laughs> that 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 uh, scene right um since then, I've been using indecent proposal as a verb. Whenever I see, like, uh, just a proposal, <laughs> someone's like, I'll do this if you do this. I'm like, oh my god, it's indecent proposal. It's so indecent. That's not decent at all, goddammit. 
<laughs> right? Um, ideally, you want to have a wife hot enough to get offered an indecent proposal, but you don't want to be as big of a fucking chump as Woody Harrelson in this movie, so, you know, the plot of indecent proposal unfolds on you. Um, as for the movie itself, uh, incredibly predictable. I gave it a six. And, uh, yeah, so thank you for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, give a like, etc. Importantly, it needs to be a five-star review. Please subscribe on Patreon to listen to our movie commentaries. You can find our links at paysip.com. That's P-A-I-C-I-P.com. Please tell a friend, tell their friend to tell a friend, tell a family member. Uh, and yeah, bye. Bye-bye.